Where the hell have you been, soldier? Training, sir! Training, sir! What kind of training, son? Pizza training, sir! Episode 10 of Drew and Sam Talk Training. I'm Drew Helmholtz with Better Than Yesterday Consulting. And I'm Sam with Fowler Consulting. And frighteningly, you've made it to episode 10 and we've made it to episode 10. How is that possible that time has flown that much, Sam? Man, I have no idea. But when we were uh, doing notes for this and I saw episode 10, I was very pleased that people are still willing to listen to us. I thought that was amazing. I agree with that. And we should do something special for episode 20 because that's like a half a year of doing this. I'm in. All right. What if we uh, threw it out to the listeners what they want us to do on episode 20? So on this fabulous episode 10, as I regain where my footing is, because we've done this before, we're going to talk about where we've been. We'll talk training. This time, I think we're going to talk a little bit about cleanliness of locations and stores. We'll review a book, The 8080 Marriage. That's right. We're going to become marriage counselors for this episode. We'll do Sam's favorite section. And we'll bring you the second part of the interview with Chairman of the Board, Dave Brandon. All right. So great introduction, Drew. I love the way that you you summed all that up for us. You know, in the five steps of on-the-job training, you definitely previewed the task we're about to do. With that said, I think a little music could be appropriate right now. I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. Across the desert, bare man. I breathe the mountain air, man. I travel, I've had my share, man. I've been everywhere. Drew? Where you been? Well, Sam, I just came back from lovely Forest, Virginia, where I was uh, working with Keem Cobbs, at Kenny Cobbs and Jen Cobbs. And uh, we did a uh, supervision class, the Better Than Yesterday system, going back to Forest in a couple of weeks because he signed on for the Learning Hub launch and phase two of the supervisor class because, well, Sam, as you know, doing the class is one thing, but then the follow-up and the next level of it is what makes the difference. So that's what we're going to do back in Forest next month. Where I've been, Sam, where have you been? I have been fortunate to spend the last two weeks teaching the curriculum that I find the most rewarding for me. And the reason it's the most rewarding for me is I actually get to see the fruits of the labor. Most of the stuff that I'm out teaching, I don't get to see the results because we we put some tips, we put some tactics, we put some structure into what they're doing and we teach them how to go out and do things. And then the hardworking men and women of the Domino's pizza world go back to their stores and they implement things and they start to see the results. With that said, the last three weeks, I've gotten to do the T3 experience, I like to call it, which is basically a presentation skills class on steroids. Did it in Dayton, Ohio with a couple of folks from Brian Edler's group and then a couple of folks from a newly minted franchisee, Chris Slater's group. And I made my way up to Minnesota where uh, this recording is coming to you from. And we had 18 folks go through the class this week. So it's a three-day intensive journey into getting confidence and competence up on stage. And on the third day, the transformation that you see from the first day is just amazing. It's going from people that are skeptical scared. Heck, I'll just say it. They're terrified to get up in front of a group to seeing people that are confident and able to deliver messages that help them to become much better influencers in their stores. And when you're a better influencer, you can change behavior. And when you change behavior, you start to get better results. So that's where I've been. And it was just so exciting to see the growth of those 22 folks over the last couple of weeks. It was amazing. It's always great when we can see the, as you said, fruits of our labor. It's nice to actually see the result as opposed to most of the time leaving before the result is more than half-baked. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's always great to get, to get cards and letters and emails and phone calls and texts. And, you know, I'm doing what you taught me to do and it's really working out and that's fantastic. We'd love to see it, but actually seeing somebody execute what they've been taught is amazing. It's that light bulb moment. It's been a really good two weeks, that's for sure. I like what you say about it's the light bulb moment. We get to see the light bulb moments, but in this particular case, I get to see what the light shines on. It's that next level. It's that, you know, for lack of a better term, on Tuesday, they were definitely better than they were yesterday. 
So that's, that's pretty fantastic. That's awesome, Sam. Well, if that's where you've been and that's where I've been, maybe it's time for us to talk a little bit about training. Let's do it. Hey, so without further ado, let's welcome Tom Petty to the podcast for the first time. Take it away, Tom. Well, that was awesome. It's nice to hear Tom Petty join the podcast, Sam. For this episode, let's talk cleanliness. Sam, do you know that we're doing a little mini con in July? You know, I had heard about that mini con in July. It's going to be a kind of a big deal, I think. I believe so too. And cleanliness fits right into that because if you think about it, Sam, for you to effectively clean your store, you need to set some expectations. You need to hold some folks accountable, maybe even able because, you know, as Don May said, folks don't know how to mop a floor. And then you want to reward them and recognize them for doing a good job. I think cleanliness fits right in to the theme of that mini con. Yeah, I think it does. And not only does it fit into what's coming up in terms of the mini con, but I think it's, it fits in well with what's coming up around the world. As we get closer and closer to some sense of normalcy out of this whole COVID-19 thing, our lobbies are going to start opening up. And what I'm seeing, and I'm sure you're seeing it too as well, Drew, is as I travel around the countries, our lobbies have become storage areas. And because people aren't using the lobbies for dine-in or waiting for their food, I think there's a chance that we have taken our eye off of the ball. And maybe during those closings at night, we're saying nobody used the lobby. We don't need to go up there. So I think this is a great time for us to refocus. And Drew, I think we need to get on those cleaning lists that the lobby needs to start getting clean again so that we can be ready when our Domino's Pizza customers start coming back in so that we can deliver the very best experience for them. And for me, that starts with a clean restaurant. I agree, Sam. To get that clean restaurant, I think you need two things. I think you need a list of what you need to clean. And then you're going to need, well, people to do it. Can I hear a little story I saw a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, please do. We were wrapping up the Better Than Yesterday supervisor class. And it actually was the last day and we were in a store at open and we weren't there for cleanliness. We were there to check on food. So it's a great time to check food at open. And as the supervisors were doing the snapshot that first were through the store, they recognized that the lobby hadn't been clean the night before. And the closing manager was the store jam came in just to meet us there that morning. And he was like, yeah, it was, it was late. And it was just two of us. I'm like, cool. So what's the jobs? And he goes, well, I get production area, food and money, and the closing driver has lobby and dishes. So I had six total people with me in the store. And it took us 25 total minutes to clean the lobby, the glass, the chairs, the sneeze guard. Sam, quick math tells me six people, that's an hour and a half to sweep, mop, and clean the lobby. And this store probably is seating for 24. So as we're busting out these cleaning lists and we're thinking about who does what, can we please, please strongly look at what 20 minutes of work is and divvy it up amongst so many people because many hands make light work and having your one closer try and do three hours of cleaning in 30 minutes probably means it won't get done. Yeah, I think that's an excellent tip. We need to really take a look at the things that we're doing and realizing that separating the closing work with front of house, back of house, even though it seems like a pretty good split, it's probably not. And the other thing that I think we need to keep in mind is what are we doing throughout the shift to make sure there's as little to do at the end of the shift as humanly possible. And when I'm talking about what we're doing through the shifts, I want to make sure that we're crystal clear on what the standards are at Domino's Pizza. We're not breaking down the make line before close. Truth be told, if you're breaking down the make line before close because you say, we want to get out of here, I'm going to put a little challenge out to you. I want you to grab a stopwatch and with the make line fully stocked, and still operational, I want you to start the clock and then challenge somebody to get it broken down and cleaned as quickly as they can and see how much time you're really saved and do a split time on just the dishes because that's what I hear the most. Well, I need to get those dishes clean. I think you're going to find that there's plenty of other things that you could within the standards get done before close and then simply have those four, six, 
eight catchphrase, depending on how many make lines and what size you have and your bins that you have. And now with the new carryover procedure that has been recently changed by Domino's Pizza, that's going to change the amount of dishes you've got to do at the end of the night as well. So any arguments you've got for breaking down your make line, I would challenge you to see if you can personally debunk those arguments so that you can be ready to deliver the very best customer experience you can deliver every minute that you're open. A $15 pizza at one minute to close puts the same amount of money in the bank as a $15 pizza in the middle of the afternoon. And that customer deserves the same service. I couldn't agree with that more, Sam. Interesting how the two of us approach this from two different sides. You're like... Don't break down the make line. And I'm like, give your nine o'clock out CSR 20 feet of lobby to clean. Yeah, there's lots of things we can do to keep our team members happy. And listeners, let's make one thing perfectly clear. There's never been a more important time in the history of food service to keep your team members happy. But what I'm not saying in no uncertain terms is to lower your standards. We've got to maintain high standards. We've got to continue to be the number one pizza company in the world. We've got to continue to have good-looking team members that are in perfect image, making perfect product in stores that are visibly clean. When you do things like Drew said, and you start splitting up the work evenly, and you start getting ahead of it before close, that still gets people out on time. And it also keeps a great standard of cleanliness, food safety, and product quality for your customers. And as a leader, you've got to maintain both of those things. And cleanliness is so important. You're running a restaurant, gang. You're running a restaurant. It's got to be clean. You would not spend your hard-earned money in a dirty restaurant. You shouldn't expect your customers to do the same. Sam, since we've talked about full-fledged expectations since episode three, two, I think it's a fabulous opportunity for us to run a small competition. And I know that having given you zero heads up on this, you'll be all in on this idea. I'm totally all in. I mean, take it away, Drew. So here's my thinking. Hi, listeners. How are you guys doing? Then either Sam or I email, reply when we post about this podcast, communicate with us by some form or fashion, except carrier pigeon. They're really slow. Something online. If you communicate with us, your cleaning checklist or your individual team member task list, right? That, that they've got to do X, Y, or Z before they leave. Each one that we take and we share out with our listeners, we'll send you a choice of any of the books that we have reviewed up until this point. You are right, Drew. I had zero warning and I am completely in. And I'll see your book and raise you an edited copy of a cleaning list and task list. Drew and I will comply everything that's sent to us and edit it into what we would do if we were running a store. And that doesn't mean that that's the only one you should use or it's the best one. But if you like what we've been selling on the podcast, if you've been picking up what we've been laying down, we'll take all those lists. And together with Drew and I's nearly 60 years of experience, and it's still current because we're still getting in stores, uh, we'll edit that guy down into something that can be used. And anybody that sends something in will also get a PDF of that upgraded cleaning list. And Drew, I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag and let folks know that on that list will absolutely be a closing manager's walk. I'm a fan of the closing manager walk because that fits into the whole trust but verify mantra. Yeah, you told the team member to do something. That's great. Follow up behind them. Make sure they did it. Because, oh my gosh, when they do, it gives you that awesome opportunity to, well, air five them or elbow bump them or do something that you're allowed to do in, in these fabulous COVID times. It also allows you to make sure that it actually got done. And that's important. I mean, I don't know what your experience with the manager's walk was, but... My first experience with a manager's walk was back in 1985 when I was a delivery driver. I got to a point where they entrusted me with a closing shift. And I went to the manager and I said, Hey, man, I'm done. And he picks up a clipboard and a blank piece of paper and a pen and said, Great, meet me at the front door. And we walked from the front door to the back door. And this was my first closing shift ever. And he pointed every opportunity there was. And I wrote them down. We got back to the office and I said, Great, I'll see you tomorrow. And he said, No. You need to go back and finish those things. And I'm like, dude, 
He says, this is a restaurant. We run clean stores. And he did a manager's walk with me, my first six closing shifts. And every time that list got shorter and shorter and shorter until there was nothing on the list. And lo and behold, the night that there was nothing on the list was actually the quickest we'd ever gotten out because he had set a full-fledged expectation for me over those first six closing shifts. And every time there wasn't a delivery, I knew what he was going to be looking for. And I wanted to get out after close. So anything I could do that didn't go against standards, I made sure I had done before that last pizza was delivered, before that five minutes after close, and we turned the open sign off and stopped taking phone calls so that I knew when he went on that manager's walk, his expectations were met. But as I look back at it, I think the real reason I wanted to get everything done wasn't to go home earlier. It was because I got this sense of accomplishment when he looked at me with a big smile on his face and said, that's what I'm talking about. That's how we close a store. Welcome to the team. So glad you're my closer tonight. And that really gave me a sense of accomplishment. It gave me more than the 15 cent an hour raise that I got later on. It gave me more than getting out to the party that night 10 minutes earlier. It was, he made me feel special. He made me feel like I was a contributor to the team. And he made it a big deal that that I got the store clean and closed and we did it efficiently. Amazing what happens when you set full-fledged expectations, you're held able and there's recognition just like at our Minicon. Yeah, indeed. And speaking of our Minicon, I think this is a great time to go to our uh, first sponsor break. Do you want to take what you have heard on this podcast to the next level? I do. Are you looking to be better than yesterday? I am. So why don't you join us for Drew and Sam Train Leadership, a Minicon event. You'll get to hear from a keynote speaker. You'll choose from two of three available breakouts. Those breakouts, full-fledged expectations, holding them able with accountability, and recognition with impact. You'll have an opportunity to network with other listeners of this podcast. It's only 49 bucks. It gives you access to the two hour event. To register, go to trainwithbty.com. That's right. To register, go to trainwithbty.com. Do it today. All right, welcome back. Burgess, take it away. Books, books, all the books I'll need. All the books, all the books I'll ever want. So Drew, in, uh, when you were previewing the task for this episode, you said we're going to become marriage counselors. So we're going to review the book this week, The 80-80 Marriage. And this was my choice. And you might be wondering why in the heck are two Domino's Pizza guys at Talk Training doing a review of a book called The 80-80 Marriage. And this is the story behind that choice. I travel a lot, as you may have known, and I do a lot of listening to podcasts. And one of the podcasts I've been listening to is called Marriage Therapy Radio. And they did an interview with the authors of this book. And as I was listening to the interview, I thought to myself, well, those are all really good tips for a strong relationship and a strong marriage. But then I started thinking, these are also pretty good tips for leadership. So I sent Drew a text and said, hey, this is a book I want to do. And he sent me back kind of a weird emoji, like, what the heck are you talking about? We're pizza guys. We talk training. And I explained it to him. Totally put all of that into that weird emoji. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I explained to him why I wanted to do the book and he he jumped on board. So that's where we're at. So, so Drew, you read the book. I read the book. Uh, What'd you get out of it? The whole concept of uh, radical generosity, of going so far above and beyond, not getting to fair, but just being nice. It's not fits for anything you're doing in life. I know I've talked to folks in stores who look at everything as being fair. That It's not fair that this person has to do that. It's not fair to ask this person to do this. It's not fair. I have to do this when my team members don't. And all of that thought process fits exactly into what this book talks about and how to get yourself beyond it, not to do more you, but to look at the way everyone else interacts around you and and be happy to pick up where you can because they're doing whatever they're doing for good. And I found great joy in this book. There's a lot of good stuff in this book. Yeah. And when you say they're doing things for joy and for the good, they, they dig down a little deeper into that, into the book. And the joy and the good is for the benefit of the team. And in the case of the book, it's for the for the benefit of the relationship. For our listeners, you do the joy and the good for the benefit of the team. What can I do that's going to help the team? Not what am I going to do that's going to help me? What am I going to do that's going to help the team? And this theory of radical generosity, leaders, we've got to jump on board with this theme. You've got to have radical generosity when people show up on time. You've got to have radical generosity when when people 
are in proper image and they do things right. And you've got to go above and beyond and make them feel special. And you've got to do things for them that's going to make them special. And one of the things that I think is really important if you want to keep the people that you've got now, especially your drivers, is the thing that you could do that would be radically generous is when you're checking them out, you could say thank you. You could say, I really appreciate what you did for the team today. And then you could let them know how much the money they made today because they don't know. They're not doing the math. And I think that would help you. That radical generosity was a theme that goes through the entire book. At, at the end of every chapter, they've got a practice on what they're talking about. And one of the practices is always practice radical generosity. So I, I thought I thought that point was spot on, Drew. Anything else from the book you got? Sam, the whole concept of radical generosity towards your team, it fits with the team and it fits at home because this is in the end of a marriage book, right? How many times do we overlook something a spouse does? How many times do we overlook something a team member does? And we don't say thank you at that moment. We don't do something as simple as like, like write that little thank you note, give them a little post-it note that says, great job, whatever that is in the store. The other piece of this book for me was, Sam, you and I spent a lot of time in the building and, and there's times where on uh, big promotions, when somebody would become an executive vice president or vice president, they'd bring the whole building down and there'd be a little speech. And every time there's that little speech, the person who was giving the speech would always thank their spouse because the spouse did something with this, this brand. Like you can't do this alone. There's got to be two people in. In your store, it's it's not a spouse, but it's the whole team. For those of you that are understaffed, you know you can't do this alone. And yet, if you're miserable and you're unhappy and you're not thanking the people around you, you're going to be doing this alone. So find a way to not keep score. Find a way to talk to your team about everybody doing everything because then everybody does a little less. And it's not about who does what and it's not about being fair. Sure, assign some tasks, but oh my gosh, thank them for it at the end. Be completely awesome and, and energetic and thankful for their time with you and your time with them because their your time is so precious. You know, as you were going through that, you could probably see it on the Zoom call, Drew, but a light bulb went off in my head. I did actually see it. Yeah, much like they do in the book with giving some practice. I'm going to give our listeners some practice that they can take from this book around radical generosity. Wait, a second assignment for our listeners? We're sounding like trainers all of a sudden this podcast. Yeah, it's crazy, right? So you talked about uh, how spouses will leave their spouse a little love note in a secret place. Yeah. My guess is most of the listeners now that are in stores have got drop boxes. I'm going to challenge you when nobody else is in the store to grab some post-it notes and put a personal note to each and every one of your drivers on the inside of their drop box. Hey, Bob, I really appreciate you. Thank you so much for what you do. Joe, Really enjoy the fact that you always come to work in complete image. Susie, your smile brightens up the entire store. I can't thank you enough for the energy that you bring. Things like that. Let's stay away from the love notes. Let's not have any uh, civil suits or human resources issues. But let's give some encouragement to our team members and, and practice some radical generosity. And my guess, I mean, I'm just going to go out on a limb here. My guess is you're going to see start to see a different attitude in your store. And if you're a person that is hardwired like most human beings, see the wrong and fix it, and you don't do a great job of reinforcing good behaviors, I'm going to challenge you especially to try this. And I'm going to warn you, buckle up. It's going to get weird. People are going to say, who the heck are you? And what did you do with our old manager? Why did the aliens take Bob? <laughs> exactly. Because I like this new Bob a lot better. And maybe you'll start to see a slow turn in the entire culture of your store. And maybe you won't. Listen, not everything works for everybody. Let's, let's just be perfectly transparent and honest. But I think this one will work. What do you think, Drew? I think it absolutely will. I'll add to Sam's challenge. You heard him be very specific. Be specific. Don't just write a post-it note and go, thanks. Be specific on why you're being thankful. And then here's my here's my ad besides the specific part. Do it a second time. Wait two hours, wait a day. Do it a second time. Yeah, people always say, if you enjoy the victory, then celebrate it if you want the victory again. So if you try this tactic and it works, which it will. Uh, oh. Try it again. Cool. So Sam, where's this book going for you? This book for me is going to be on the shelf as soon as my darling wife, Cindy, reads it. 
because there are a lot of things in it where they say the couple should try these things together. I want to make sure that I'm doing everything I can in my personal life to keep our relationship strong because it's been my experience that people that have a strong personal relationship outside of work tend to perform much better inside of work. I think we're doing our listeners a huge favor by telling them to not just simply focus on what it is they focus inside their four walls and to become complete and totally energized human beings all around. So I think this book really fits. And then I just want to share one more quick thing about the book before we get into your review. And that's, there's a small Domino's pizza reference in this book, believe it or not. Yes, there is. And I reached out to Nate Klemp, the author, via email to, to let him know what I thought about that reference. And he responded within a matter of hours. And I responded back to him and told him we were going to be reviewing the book and that I would send him a link. And he responded again with excitement for about us talking about this book. And uh, so, Nate, if you're listening, thank you so much for the response. Thank you so much for the book. It was a terrific read. And um, with that said, Drew, I am going to have it solidly on my bookshelf for reference after Cindy reads it. And I'm going to highly suggest that any of our listeners that have a significant other give the book a read because I think it's going to help you have a greater relationship outside of work, which I think will enhance your performance inside of work. How about you? Where are you writing this one? I am actually a carbon copy of your response. There's really good stuff in here, personal life. And yes, I spot on agree with you that, you know, we always talk about don't bring the baggage into work, but if there's less baggage, it's way easier to leave it behind. Well, it sure is. Clean up what's going on at home and you'll clean up what's going on in your store. And this book helps. Yeah. So again, Nate and Kaylee Clamp, thank you so much for writing the book, sharing your personal experiences in the book. And for all our listeners, I highly recommend grabbing the book on amazon.com. Uh, we'll put a link on there. And of course, you know, we're in the, uh, in the program with Amazon. So a couple of pennies will come to us and we appreciate that as well. It's a great way to support Drew and I and what we're doing on the podcast. So with that said... Liam, is it Liam's turn? Is it time for Liam to join the podcast, Sam? I'm going to go with yes. What I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. All right, Sam, what have you taken from the stores? Well, I've taken, in Liam's word, a particular set of skills that people have seemed to have acquired over a number of years. And it, it's been what's been a really hot topic and a hot button for folks. And that's all about retention. And as I walk into stores, it seems to be that the greatest leaders are the ones that are suffering the least from retention problems. The people that understand that winning every battle isn't going to lead to winning the wars are the ones that are on the broad spectrum doing the best. It really frustrates me when I see a leader talk to a team member and say, no, you can't leave early tonight because I need you. And then they wonder why they quit. Listen, you may have to take a hit tonight for a couple of hours to let that team member go do what they want to do so that you keep them on the schedule for 30 hours next week. I keep saying this over and over and over again, and I can't emphasize it enough. It seems like every time I say it, I believe it more and more and more. And that is, do you want to be right? Or do you want to be effective? It's right that you need that team member tonight. It is absolutely right. And it would be a great decision if it didn't lead to consequences down the road. And again, I don't want you to lower your standards. I don't want you to allow your team members to start running the store. But I think you need to be more flexible in today's world than you've ever needed to be. And I also think that if you are able to get that level of flexibility that you're going to not only survive, but thrive through these times. And I think the other side of that coin is if you don't get that flexibility, not only are you not going to survive, but your doors may close simply because you don't have human beings to open them. That's a pretty powerful take Sam. Thanks, man. I think I'll just kind of piggyback on that. I've seen it in the last two franchises, similar concept, different layout, a roadmap of the career path, because one, 
yes, we're having a hard time getting people in the door, but now that they're there, let's get them to know that there's something more than what they're doing. Your 65, 70% of your team members will only be here to pay this credit card bill to make this extra payment six months, nine months, fine. But for the rest, we've got a chance to turn this into a career. Let's use a career development poster. I think HTG has a couple. If you don't have access to one, reach out to Sam or I and we can help you build one because, oh my gosh, just putting something up in the store that helps your team members see there's more than their car. There's more than the phone they're answering. There's more than the shift they're closing might help keep them around. Yeah, it's so important. I mean, we've got to do a better job of selling the dream and we've got to do a better job of letting people know that Domino's Pizza is an opportunity like no other that I've experienced in my life. On the flip side of that coin, we've got to understand that we've, for the most part, got temporary pass-through team members that are doing most of the heavy lifting. And if you are in the mindset that you think somebody will quit because they are going to want the weekend off, then why not just offer them the weekend off? and have them next week. If you think if I make them work this weekend, they're just going to quit. Why would you make that decision? Just give them the weekend off. But Sam, I need them. But you just told me they're going to quit if you make them. You're not going to have them either way this weekend. But one way you might have them next week. You've got to start doing things that quite simply didn't make sense when I was coming up. Yeah, it's true. Same for me. Times are different. The workforce is different. Your workforce values their time more than they value the amount of money they're making. And you've got to start valuing their time as well. Does that mean you're going to be shorthanded every now and again? Yeah, I think that's what it means. But a lot of you are shorthanded on every single shift right now because you are stuck in thinking it's my way or the highway you're going to work these shifts or you're not going to work here. And the only part about that statement that is correct is you're going to work these shifts or you're not going to work here, but they're the ones making the decisions, not you. It sucks that that's the truth. Listen, I'm not telling you that that is great or that I'm okay with it because I'm not, but I can't change it. What I can do is change the way I lead. What I can do is change the environment inside the store. And what I can really try to do is become an employer of choice in somebody that wants to stick with me at least 20 hours a week, at least 25 hours a week. And I can start filling at least some of the holes. Some of you don't have a hole in the dam. Some of you lost the whole dam and the water is just rushing through and it's drowning you. And we got to start putting that dam back together. Damn, your taken became a soapbox. Now to be effective, let's get to an ad. You want to take what you have heard on this podcast to the next level? I do. Are you looking to be better than yesterday? I am. So why don't you join us for Drew and Sam Train Leadership, a mini con event. You'll get to hear from a keynote speaker. You'll choose from two of three available breakouts. Those breakouts, full-fledged expectations, holding them able with accountability, and recognition with impact. You'll have an opportunity to network with other listeners of this podcast. It's only 49 bucks. It gives you access to the two-hour event. To register, go to trainwithbty.com. That's right. To register, go to trainwithbty.com. Do it today. Sam, in just a few seconds, we're going to cut into part two of our interview with fabulous guest, chairman of the board, Dave Brandon. Yeah, from the download numbers from part one, people were pretty excited to hear what Dave had to say. Just a truly polished public speaker, a guy with incredible knowledge and a whole lot of experience and still obviously in love with the brand and the things that we're doing. So let's let's go right to part two of that interview. Many of our listeners will never achieve position of CEO and you did it three separate times. So would you mind giving our listeners a peek behind the curtain and tell us what does a day in the life of a CEO look like? My experience is one of the most interesting things about being a CEO is that there are no two days alike. It's not like a lot of other jobs where you get into a routine. Typically, small problems or small issues get taken care of by all the wonderful people that you hire and put around you. 
even sometimes middle problems and middle sized issues get taken care of very talented people that you surround yourself with. Uh, your, your life as a CEO tends to focus on the big issues, the big problems, the big challenges, and those by their nature are not highly predictable and there's no pattern to them. So the interesting thing and the challenging thing about being a CEO is that, you know, every day is a different day. You know, every week and every quarter provides different challenges and opportunities. And if you're into that, it's a little bit of a high wire act. Uh, if you're into, you know, that kind of challenge and those kinds of opportunities and all the risks and rewards that come along with it, then you probably enjoy being a CEO. But there is no typical day. So let's talk about some of those those challenging days. My recollection of you around the building was you were you were very accessible. You were always walking around and talking to the team members. And it seemed like whenever you and I crossed paths, no matter what was going on in the business, there was always a smile on, the, on your face. You called people by name and it was amazing. And I remember one day in particular, I'd made my way into the office and I was listening to music on a CD and I was thinking about what my job at hand was. And I hadn't paid attention to the news of the world at all. And you and I passed in the hallway down where the old um, where the old exercise room was. And I said, hey, Dave, how's it going? And you had a very stern look on your face and you said it is not going well at all. And as I walked by the exercise room, I noticed on the TV they were showing the second plane going into the World Trade Center. Describe for us what that day was like for you, 9-11, for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about. How was that day and, and what did that do to the business and all the responsibility? I mean, we've got so many team members that travel on a daily basis. I would imagine that would have been one of the toughest days in your tenure at Domino's. Mm, no question about it. I, I think everybody remembers exactly where they were when they found out about that. It was one of those sentinel events. You know, I remember when I was a kid in grade school, when President Kennedy was shot and killed, I remember where I was when the Challenger blew up and, and we're all going to remember, you know, where we were and what the situation was on that horrible day. We were having a what's up domino session in the old warehouse. We used to set up folding chairs. It was long before a lot of the renovation had occurred at the World Resource Center and so we had several hundred people in a room and I'm up on a makeshift like dais and we're making a presentation as we did every quarter to try to keep everybody informed as to what was going on at the company. I think those things are still happening today <laughs> as part of communicating our results. And three or four members of my team, the leadership team were sitting in the front row nobody else wanted to sit in the front row. So they did. And, uh, uh, I'm up there presenting or do, doing Q&A or whatever, whatever part of the program we were in, I don't remember. And I noticed they were like whispering to one another and showing one another their phones. And finally, you know, I, it became very obvious something was going on. So I kind of looked at one of them and said, what's what, you know, what's up? And one of them said a plane just flew into the World Resource Center. At the time, it seemed like it was an accident, like, and, you know, I think in your mind it was, well, some, you know, some out of control rookie pilot is in a small airplane and figured out a way to run into a building in New York. That was the first thing that you thought of. And then what happened was the news started bleeding out that it was a commercial aircraft and, and it was very upsetting. And we just suspended the meeting. We said, you know, I just said, listen, there's something going on in New York. It sounds very serious. I think we should wrap things up for today. And interestingly enough, after that meeting, I was to go right to the airport and jump on a plane to go down to, I was going down to Southern Ohio to give a talk. So I was heading for an airport. So we broke the meeting. And interestingly enough, in the building in those days, the only place that there was a TV was in the fitness room. Right. We didn't have a lot of TVs around the building. That's changed too. And so everybody kind of flocked down there. I mean, it was, people were shoulder to shoulder, squeezed into the fitness room, looking at this big TV on the wall. 
where they were live broadcasting what was going on. And that's where I saw the second plane hit the second building. And then it became very apparent, you know, what we were in the midst of. And then they shut down all the airports. And obviously I wasn't flying anywhere, nor was anybody else. And then the first order of business for us was to find out whether we had anybody in either one of those airplanes. And then we heard about the third plane in Pennsylvania. So, you know, the first thing is, you know, with all the people we have traveling all the time, you know, God forbid, did we have anybody in those airplanes? Did we have anybody in those in the World Trade Center? And it took a while. I mean, we were working like crazy to, you know, talk to our travel people and find out who's on the road, who's in the air. It was a really, really stressful, uh, scary time. And it wasn't just those three airplanes. It was like, who's in the air? Because how many more airplanes are going to go down? Right. So we were just scared to death. And, and then everybody, you know, everybody has family members who are traveling. I mean, it was, it wasn't just our team members. It was our team members, loved ones. And we're just trying to figure out, you know, how are we being directly affected by this and, you know, who should we be looking after and checking up on? And that, you know, that was several hours of pure hell. And those images on TV combined with trying to figure out where our people were. And we had people spread out all over the world. Uh, I remember Patrick Doyle was running international at the time. He was over stranded in Europe. Tetchy was <laughs> trying to figure out how do I get my husband back where it's safe? There's no airplanes flying. I mean, we were dealing with a whole bunch of problems. Thankfully, thankfully, we didn't have anybody in those planes. Having said that, I was on the board of the TJX companies, you know, TJ Maxx and Marshalls and Home Goods and, and all those retail stores. I was on the board and they actually had a bunch of people on the plane from Boston that got hijacked and went into the building. So at the same time I was trying to manage what was going on at Domino's, there were other factors. There was a, a guy that I knew quite well at the University of Michigan that ran a bond fund that was with Cantor Fitzgerald, which is where the first plane hit. So we were all affected by it. We all had either direct or indirect relationships with people who you know, lost their lives, lost loved ones in that horrible day. But as, as Domino's always does, you know, you try to take, you know, a bad, in this case, horrific situation and try to make some good out of it. And the only good we could make out of it is the number of people that, you know, the rescue workers in New York, the amount of people that needed to flood to that area to, you know, do the recovery stuff and, you know, put out fires and try to make buildings safe. And between the, the police and the fire department and the Red Cross, and I mean, there was a huge amount of people in that area and it was just decimated by those buildings crumbling. And in those days we had portable stores and we got our portable stores there and we got gas hookups and we worked with the local authorities and we were giving away thousands and thousands of pizzas, feeding rescue workers, survivors. And as we've done so many times, we've tried to take our brand and our business model and we're pretty well positioned to quickly respond and feed people that need to be fed. And to that extent, it was somewhat heartwarming that we were able to at least do something productive at a time when the nation was suffering so much. Yeah. It's always nice that we can jump in, in those times, times of need. And it seems like, you know, I've been doing this pizza thing for gosh, darn near 40 years. And it's kind of the way we're built and the way we operate. It's, it's really nice to be a part of it. You know, when people say to me, oh, you work for a pizza place, just kind of chuckle on the inside and say, you have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Another, you know, another time I was over in Australia spending time with our, our partners over there. And uh, that's when Katrina hit. So I'm, I'm in Sydney, Australia, and I'm looking at a television. It's showing, you know, those floods and what New Orleans looked like and what was happening. And I'm getting reports of what happened in Gulfport. I got on the first plane out of Sydney to get back to the U.S. and flew down there. And there are images emblazoned in my mind from what I saw in the aftermath of that 
hurricane that I will never forget. I mean, it was the devastation was just awful. The power of that storm, you know, I, I left that with a much greater respect for what mother nature was capable of doing. Yeah, I think the great thing about Katrina was, you know, not only were we able to help on the ground, um, but I was in the World Resource Center at the time. And Jim, who was, you know, the executive of the Partners Foundation, he asked everybody to man the phones. And I remember doing a shift on the phones for the Partners Foundation. And we just gave out tens of thousands of dollars to team members in need. And it wasn't like, you know, what are you going to use it for? What do you need it for? It was if they call, and they're from that area, the answer is yes. And let's take care of them. And I just, the spirit and family nature of Domino's Pizza has something that has just, I mean, even when I left to the brand, I didn't leave the brand. You know, I still work with the brand because it's just, it's just part of me. And that giving nature that we have is just fantastic. Yeah. The Partners Foundation is a, is a remarkable thing. Jim did such a good job with that. I'm sure that all continues and we always supported it in every way we could from a corporate perspective. But as importantly, you know, our team members were always very generous. It's just, a, it's one of the many things that makes us special and unique. Trust me, not all companies think about those kinds of services and programs to help their people. I got to admit that that last segment Question and answer got a little dark. So I think I'm going to lighten it up a little bit, Dave. <laughs> Good idea, Drew. Internet research is a beautiful thing, Dave. Well, looking online at a couple of things. One, I found on your Wikipedia page, it actually lists www.dominos.com as your official website, which I thought was kind of funny. Which should tell you not to believe everything that you read online and certainly in Wikipedia. However, I did also find another podcast you're on years ago where you mentioned a great disdain for silos. Now, for our listeners, uh, we're not talking about arms and the silos there. We're talking about divisions in a company that generally work within themselves, for themselves, and not with others. So, Dave, if you were mentoring a new CEO, what advice would you give them around dismantling silos? Silos within organizations to me are incredibly destructive because you take all of the energy that should be around competing against your true competitors, right? And pretty soon you're, you're competing against yourself. You've got entities within the company that kind of view one another as separate as opposed to one team. I'm a big believer in this, you know, one team approach. And, and even in complex organizations where you have, and, and Domino's is pretty complex, right? You've got, you know, you've got an international business, you've got a supply chain business, you've got corporate owned stores, you've got a franchise, but you, you know, there's a lot of different moving parts, but if they all start to become a tub on their own bottom and they become insular and they're constantly worrying about how they're doing versus how the entire brand and organization is doing, it creates infighting, it creates jealousy, it creates unhealthy competition. And it takes your eye off the ball because the eye, your eye should be on defeating the Pizza Huts and the Papa John's of the world. That's the enemy. Sometimes, particularly with large companies where, where the organizational charts get complex and there's a lot of moving parts, these silos form. And, you know, I've always held my leadership team accountable for making sure that doesn't happen. You've got to set a tone that we're all in this together. I always worked really hard to make sure that the incentive plans were all designed in such a way that we're all in this together. We either all win together or we all lose together. It's not one of those things where some of us are going to win at the expense of some of us losing. I was never one that wanted to be in meetings where we fought over transfer costs and expenses and who's allocated what, you know, we're all in this together and we're all one team and we got to behave that way. And anybody who doesn't want to behave that way, I'd like for them to go work someplace else. And that's just kind of the way I thought about it. The invitation to leave as it were. Promotion to customer. <laughs> you know, anybody who's so selfish that they believe their particular spot or, or area of the business is more important than others, then they, you know, fundamentally have the wrong attitude. And, and the other thing that, that I always did to try to really get at the heart of that is I always believe, and I said this, and this drove people who work for me crazy from time to time. But I always said that I, I strongly believe in the importance of the chain of command for everybody but me. 
And what I meant for what I meant by that is I reserve the right to go talk to anybody I want to talk to, uh, walk into anybody's office. I don't have to go through the chain of command. I don't have to ask your permission. I don't have to tell you I'm doing it. I'm gonna find out for myself what's going on at my company. And if that means going and talking to the receptionist, if that means going and talking to somebody who's managing a store, if that means going directly to somebody who's working in a distribution center to find out in the real world exactly what's happening, I'm, I'm gonna do that. That reminds me of our first meeting, which if you remember it, I'll be truly surprised. But I had just come off my franchise career in Whitmore Lake, Michigan, which didn't go well. And I was uh, fortunate enough to get a job as an area supervisor in Ann Arbor. And my first day on the job was New Year's Eve, 1999. <laughs> so my, my kind of standard operating procedure when taking over a new role was to just go around and shake hands and kiss babies and meet everybody and let them know who I was. So I walk into a newly remodeled store on Main Street and I'm talking to the manager there and I'm saying, hey, I'm Sam and I'm walking around talking to every team member. There's this very larger than life team member at the make line and he's got his back to me and I just put out my hand and I say, hey, I'm Sam. Who are you? And you turn around and the manager says, oh, we just call him Dave. So you and Jan were working New Year's Eve at the store on Main Street. And I'm like, okay, I just introduced myself to the new CEO without really knowing who he was. This is going to be good. <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting story. I had started, I'd started with the company in March in 1999. And a lot of people don't realize this. A lot of younger people would never even think of this. But the country was preoccupied with this whole change of the millennium, right? And what was going to happen, you know, the, with the year 2000. And, and there were a lot of smart people out there that were predicting that, you know, all the computers were going to blow up. And I mean, it was, there, there were some very apocalyptic stories out there about this whole idea about the change of the millennium. So one of the first requests I got was from some of our team members who said, we really want to close down the stores on New Year's Eve because this could be a really disastrous. I mean, there were people that predicting the world was going to come to an end, right? I mean, all of our lights were going to go out and the heat was going to go out. I mean, we were going to, the ice age was going to come as a result of the fact that we were now living off of computers and the computers weren't prepared for this changing over to the year 2000. So, so people wanted to shut the stores down. There was, there was, you know, kind of a hue and cry. Now, I'm a new CEO. You know, you like to make people happy. You like to tell people what they want to hear. But for me, it was about as wrong headed as you can imagine that on one of the biggest pizza consuming days of the year, when people expect us to be open and operating, that we're going to shut down our stores. The argument was people said, you know, I'm reading stories that tell me the world might come to an end. If the world's going to come to an end, I don't want to be in a Domino's pizza store when it happens. So please shut it down. And uh, I just couldn't do that. So I made it very clear that we would be opening. We, you know, we would be open, we would be operating. And if your job was to be in a store, your job, your, you know, was going to require you to be in the store doing your job. I reflected on that decision and I thought, you know, a lot of people are probably going to assume that while I'm telling them they got to work in stores on New Year's Eve, the change of the millennium that that I, uh, you know, I'll be at some cocktail party somewhere sipping champagne while, while they're doing that. And that image, not only is that not who I am, I didn't want anybody to think that that's who I was. So I made it real clear and I went I went home and told Jan, listen, I'm. I'm going to be working in a store on New Year's Eve. I'm going to get trained up because I really wasn't qualified at that point. So I was going to go down to the test kitchen, get trained up and be prepared to go in and be a productive member of the crew in one of the stores in the area, which ended up being that store Sam referenced in Ann Arbor. Jan looked at me and said, well, you know, there's an outside chance the world's going to come to an end. If the world's going to come to an end and you're going to be a Domino's pizza store, I want to be with you. So, so I said, all right, great. So we both got fitted for uniforms for the first time. We went down in the test kitchen and people spent a lot of time with us 
kind of taken us through and becoming certified pizza makers and getting some experience on how all that stuff happened in the store. Because again, I was very new at this point and it was great. It, it, it provided me the ability early on to really get into the operations of a store and Jan and I really enjoyed it. And interestingly enough, <laughs> you know, one of the reasons we changed the uniforms, you guys probably remember this was <laughs> They handed, uh, Jan came to the office and it was, you know, at five o'clock at night, we were going to go down and spend a few hours getting trained, you know, getting some of our training and preparation for this. So they handed us our uniforms and she went into the ladies bathroom. I went in the men's bathroom on either side of the elevators back in the old office. We put these uniforms on and I remember Jan walking out wearing, if you remember those, the pants that we had in those old uniforms were cardboard. I think. Yeah, they were primarily cardboard. They were more cardboard than cotton, that's for sure. And she came walking out, you know, stiff leg with these horrible, scratchy, you know, cheap slacks on that were part of the standard issue uniform. And she looked at me and I'll never forget. She just looked at me. She said, you make your people wear this, which is atypical that Jan doesn't really usually challenge things like that, but she was so miserable in this pair of guys pants, by the way, there was no differentiation between guys and gals. So we made her put on a pair of really stiff, nasty men's slacks. And that, that was when we launched the whole process of we got to do something different with uniforms. The other funny story working in the store that night was I really learned how fun it was to sell products that were easy to make and prepare and how miserable it was to sell products that were hard to make. Yeah. I think we were selling the uh, meats a trio then weren't we? And you had a prosciutto ham story. Loma herb, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We had, a, we had launched the Italian original pizzas, which, you know, I'd only eaten them. I thought they were, you know, really quite good. I'd never tried to make one. And now I'm in the store and we're busier than all get out. And all of a sudden on the make screen comes up, you know, one of these Italian originals that required prosciutto ham and prosciutto ham that we were using came freeze packed or I, I guess they were kind of pressure packed in, you know, one of these pressure pack packaging techniques. So when you open them up, they were welded together and they were paper thin. And I'm like fumbling around trying to figure out how to get my 12 pieces of prosciutto ham peeled off of this block of prosciutto. And it was just, it was awful. It was awful. So I'm going, I wonder if any of our folks who are back inventing this stuff ever worked in a store to actually understand what it was like under pressure and with, you know, with the clock ticking trying to meet our requirements to our customers if they ever really knew what it was like to try to build one of these products. So, so I went back and instituted the Dave rule in the test kitchen where anytime we, every time we came up with some kind of a new product, I had to go down there and they had to prove to me that somebody that would as, was as bad as I was working in a store could easily execute the operational requirements of the product. And if I couldn't, I just sent them back to the well and said, fix it. Because I had a newfound respect as a result of that experience for what it was like to work in the store. So it was a super great experience for me early in my career at Domino's. It really helped me a lot in a lot of ways. Well, Dave, thank you so, so much for taking time out of uh, what seems like just a crazy busy schedule. Truly appreciated it. And it was just wonderful to talk with you again. Yeah, it was a blast. Thank you. Good to see both of you. I have fun with what you're doing and, and continued success. I hope our paths cross so I can, I'll actually shake your hand, you know, one of these days. Wouldn't that be nice? I like it. Maybe we could uh, meet at a local pub in Ann Arbor and catch your two boys playing some music. That would be terrific. Let's try to do that. In the meantime, good wishes to you and yours. Okay. Thanks, Dave. Thanks. You as well. Special thanks to Dave for spending as much time as he did with us. We really, really appreciate it. Dave, if you're listening, that was fantastic. We can't thank you enough. It's absolutely awesome that he was willing to give us not just the time that he gave us, but then we just kept going and going because it was just such a great conversation with him. Very powerful stuff. Let's hit our last commercial break of this episode. If I'm a betting guy, 
I bet you're about to hear something about the Minicon coming up in July. You want to take what you have heard on this podcast to the next level? I do. Are you looking to be better than yesterday? I am. So why don't you join us for Drew and Sam Train Leadership, a Minicon event. You'll get to hear from a keynote speaker. You'll choose from two of three available breakouts. Those breakouts, full-fledged expectations, holding them able with accountability, and recognition with impact. You'll have an opportunity to network with other listeners of this podcast. It's only 49 bucks. It gives you access to the two-hour event. To register, go to trainwithbty.com. That's right. To register, go to trainwithbty.com. Do it today. Uh, Sam, I believe we're near the end, which means it's time for some Willie. On the road again. Just can't wait to get on. heading off to? Well, I am coming to you from Minnesota. I'm in one of the offices at Team Honey Badger. And uh, this week we are developing some curriculum that we're going to deliver as the point where this episode is dropping on Tuesday. Drew, you and I will be together in St. Louis doing a manager's rally that I'm really excited about. And then the week after that, I'm right back here in Minnesota to deliver the curriculum that we're developing. So pretty exciting three weeks coming up. Other than the St. Louis gig, which I'm going to be excited to see in person, where are you heading? I've got St. Louis. And then uh, the week after that, I'll be with Brian Hamilton in Knoxville, Tennessee. He's purchased a few stores there and added a couple supervisors. So we're going to get all the supervisors lined up on the same better than yesterday visit system. Hey, that's fantastic. I've got family in Tennessee. You can uh, maybe drop in and get some home cooking. Yeah, it works for me. I'm always a fan. Well, Sam, with that, I guess we've reached the end of another fabulous episode, episode 10 in the book, Sam. Yeah, that's great. So as we land this plane, like we always like to say, make sure you share this episode with your friends, like us on Facebook, go to your favorite podcast platform, whatever that may be. And if you followed us, we'd be very appreciative of that. All right. So wrapping up episode 10, you've been listening to Drew and Sam Talk Training. And I'm Drew Helmholtz with Better Than Yesterday Consulting. And I'm Sam Fowser with Fowser Consulting. And as always, go out there and sell more pizza and have more fun. That's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs>